the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Matt Tamini. What is up, Buckeye Nation? Uh, this is your host, Chris Perenni, bringing you another edition of the Buck Off Podcast. With the Land Grant Holy Land feed, I am joined today by Jordan. He's co-hosting once again. How are you doing today, Jordan? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, you know. I, I figured I could take a break from Harry Potter to record the podcast. Yeah. So how's uh, how's watching Harry Potter going for you? It's first time? First time through, right? Yep. Yeah, I was never allowed to watch it as a kid. And then as I became an adult, it just didn't seem interesting. You know, I didn't really care to watch like Wizards and Witches. That's not really my thing. But everyone's been talking about it. And my fiance has been trying to get me to watch it for like seven years. And so I finally gave in. And I I probably should have gave in earlier. It's actually pretty good. So I'm on um, movie six. Six. So which one's been your favorite so far? It's either between uh, Prisoner of Azkaban or Goblet of Fire. Yeah, see, I liked Goblet of Fire the most when I was younger because I liked all the action in it. Mm-hmm. And when I was like 11 or 12, Prisoner of Azkaban was so confusing with all the time traveling and all that stuff. Yeah. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. So, yeah, I think I'm a, I think I'm a Half-Blood Prince or Order of Phoenix guy now because okay. I've matured. But, yeah, no, 4 is awesome. Uh, how how into it are you now? I, I I think I saw on your Twitter feed that you you're taking some quizzes. You're getting sorted into your house. What the sorting hat say for you? Uh, so the sorting hat said Gryffindor. Uh, yeah, my my fiance sent that to me. Um, I would say, I would say I'm, I I don't know I don't know how deep into it I am. Uh, someone said I should go to the theme park, but I hate the state of Florida. My sister lives there, so maybe I'll go just because like I'm gonna go visit my sister eventually. But I try to stay out of Florida as much as possible. But I say, I mean, I'm 26, so like I'm not about to go full, you know, wizard. I'm a little late to it. I feel like if you've been doing it for a while and then it just kind of grew with you, I get it. But you know, I don't know. I I, I really like it. I'm probably gonna you know rewatch them at some point. Um, I'm just happy that like it's actually good because you know like something's been like hyped forever and everyone's talking about it. And you're like, ah, there's no way it's that good. Like y'all are just hyping it. Y'all were like seven when you watched it. Yeah, you so. just don't want it to be like ruined. Yeah, no, and it's it's actually like people weren't lying. It's actually pretty solid. Yeah, honestly, I have kind of been on and off with Harry Potter for like my whole life. Uh, sometimes I'm like really into it. I like all the like lore around it. Mm-hmm. I'm a Hufflepuff. I, I'm very locked in. I told you before the show, I went to Harry Potter World here at Universal Studios in Los Angeles two weeks ago. I got the robe. I got the wand. I got. I went all out. I had to do it. Oh, the Harry Potter world is in Los Angeles. It's not at the Universal Studios in Florida. I think they have one at both, to be honest. Okay. But we'll have to get some, uh, if any uh, audience members or anyone listening has evidence to that, I'm not doing a Google search right now. So, yeah. Yeah. Leave it in the comments. If it's in Los Angeles, I might go. I've never been to Los Angeles, and I need a reason to go to Los Angeles. So, I thought it was in Florida. I try to stay away. Plenty of good reason. Yeah. Try to stay in Florida. Yeah, I mean it's it's an exciting time when you watch your first movie, uh, watch that the first time. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean I love Harry Potter, I love Ohio State football. So we'll get to this uh, Ohio State stuff because that's what this show's about. Uh, so yeah, what is the first conversation topic we got today? 
we have a ton of recruiting stuff to talk about. Uh, but we're kind of going to take a more overarching view on this. Uh, we're not going to get into every single individual player that visited. We have plenty of people writing about that to sort of give you guys that content. So I, I got to ask you, Jordan, how do you feel the first weekend went? How do you feel Buckeye Bash was perceived by the recruits? Do you think it was a successful first weekend? Yeah, from everything that we've seen and heard, uh, it was successful. I mean, um, Tegra was on the dotted line with Matt, uh, and he was talking about it. And so I think the biggest thing that I took away from it is that everyone who was committed loved it. Um, and this is really the time where it's like you don't want to you don't want to lose those commits. You don't want to lose the people you built your class around, especially the ones who it was their first visit to Ohio State. So. It seems to be successful. Uh, how successful, we won't know until people start committing and things like that. But, you know, when you don't hear, I, I guess you take it with a grain of salt. But I think sometimes you can kind of read, you know, the BS, right? You can read when someone's just saying good things because no one's going to talk bad about a program or when, like, you know, they really actually enjoyed it. And I think everything that we saw coming out of it, the excitement in the pictures, all that kind of stuff, um, the interviews and different things, I think it was a success. As successful as it can be, again, up until people start committing. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that 100%. Uh, when you talk about recruiting events, I think a lot of people were kind of interested in the layout of it. Ohio State was getting the first visit from a lot of major recruits. I know the first weekend was mostly for campers and the already committed group, but there was a few guys who were – taking unofficials, camping that weekend that came away with very positive impressions as well. And I'm trying to pull up his name. I'm blanking on it. I'm trying to find it in the Slack channel. But there was literally a player who was committed to Florida State, went to the camp on, I think, Saturday or Sunday, didn't even have an offer when he left, decommitted from Florida State, and then received an Ohio State offer. So Ohio State made such a good impression on one recruit that he decommitted from his current offer and took a chance and received an Ohio state offer. And that to me, like if you make an impression like that on an athlete and you don't even really know what you're getting and all that stuff, when it comes to recruiting as a player, that's a pretty good impression to say the least. Oh yeah. Uh, I actually found it uh, 2023 defensive lineman, Gabriel, Gabriel Harris. Yes, he was committed to Florida State, right? Yep, yeah, Florida State. And, and I, I mean, listen, we know what happened. Larry, Coach, Coach Larry Johnson sat him down, talked to him, threw him some film, and he was like, this is the greatest defensive end coach in the country. Without a doubt. And I think Larry Johnson is kind of in a position where sometimes like, I think fans get mad at him because he's not always trying to get that five-star or four-star recruit. Uh, sometimes they'll take a flyer on a three-star guy. But I think when you really look at him as a talent evaluator, sometimes as a coach at his level, being able to mold a player versus someone who's already kind of molded, kind of already at the highest level, it really allows him to get a player who's going to play within a role to play within what Larry Johnson and the defense wants. And I think I trust him as a talent evaluator. So if mm -hmm. this kid came and camped, and left with an offer, like absolutely, like let's get this guy in the building. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound like an Ohio State homer, but I do think that's something that separates us from other programs. 
I think Clemson is similar, but Clemson does it in a totally different way. I really think they focus on that family approach. And so, you know, Ohio State is a factory, but I don't I don't think it is really a factory. You know, like sometimes you see like yeah. they will go for instead of the number one or two recruit, they'll go for number five. Or even with wide receivers, one of the wide receivers that was committed, you know, was, you know, a top 200 player, something like that. And at this point, there's no reason for Ohio State not to be going for solid top 100 players. But I think they really go for who they think fits. And if that means getting a player that's a little bit lower rated, I mean, I believe it was it was either one of the wide receivers or one of the corners. And I, I apologize, I'm terrible with names. When he got it, when he got the offer, he was in the 400s. Now he's in like 170, like 178, I believe. Um, and I think some of that comes from just building relationships and, and talent evaluation and seeing players and like, you know, we can build on this. You have the traits and not, and not necessarily being in numbers, not you have, we have to have the number one person at every position. Cause sometimes, you know, they don't blend. Like, I don't think we talk about it enough with colleges, but like culture does still matter and how they fit into the program and how they're going to work still matters too, not just the ranking. And I think that's, that's a lot of what Larry Johnson does. Yeah, I was uh I was reading this past week. I think it was last week actually. I was reading about that Bama bump, you know, the and it happens with all the big schools. Ohio State players get bumped all the time. I know everyone gets mad when a player gets moved down. Bama gets bumps, Clemson gets bumps. The top teams usually when they recruit a guy tend to have a positive impact on their ranking. And I thought that was an interesting conversation I was reading about because it kind of the the person at twenty four seven sports who was getting interviewed. I uh, he said that yeah, obviously you have to take that into consideration when Ohio State or Alabama finds a kid because if they're a three hundred and fiftieth ranked recruit, why are they taking a chance on this guy and not players who are ranked a little higher in the recruiting process? So a lot of people think it's just this concrete cement you get rated the 26th best player in the country you're locked in there no that's not the case at all this is a very fluid thing you watch film you evaluate offers you evaluate camps and the more people are able to see them the more accurate these are able to be and with social media with the amount of people who cover recruiting now we're starting to get some of the best most accurate evaluations from those services as we can and COVID kind of threw a wrench in that for a year but we're going to see a lot of corrections coming in the next couple of months. And I just kind of want the people listening to be prepared for that. Not everything's going to go perfect. Ohio State's going to have recruits drop. They're going to have recruits rise. It's just kind of the name of the game. And that's something I was, it's just an interesting conversation topic because we were talking about evaluations and that, but it's crazy that those evaluations. So Larry Johnson taking a chance on a recruit can legitimately help them with their ranking. And I think that's just really interesting. Yeah, I think it is too. And I think a part of it just comes from the fact that, you know, every staff has what they're looking for. And as good as, you know, 247 Sports and all these other places do, like they're dealing with thousands of thousands of athletes. And so maybe you miss something and then you see it. And of course they're like, okay, so Ohio State offered, then Alabama offered, then Michigan offered. So now let's take a deeper look at this player. And sometimes it's just the player went under the radar or they were injured, things like that. I mean, Chris Olave, who potentially, you know, is the best or one of the best wide receivers in the last, what, 10, 15 years, he, it was luck. Ohio State went went to to watch Jack Tuttle. Yeah, Jack Tuttle. And they found Chris Olave and we know what he's done, you know, and we know what we expect him to do this year. So, 
It, mean, it's really, I mean, I, I trust these coaches more than anything in the world when it comes to talent evaluation. I trust Alabama's coaches more than anything in the world when it comes to talent evaluation because at the end of the day, everyone complains about the same three or four teams being in the, there in the end, but guess where it all starts? It starts with your initial talent evaluation and recruiting. And I, I think the next thing I want to lead into with that is there were some one-on-one workouts. Uh, there were some of that stuff. And I'm starting to see some names pop in and out. It's not like anything crazy. I think uh, I think a few were. There was an offensive lineman who worked out, a defensive lineman who worked out. I think Ohio State's doing a good job of taking advantage of it. But you really only get to see so much in an hour. And I don't think that's enough to really evaluate a player. So I guess what I'm trying to ask you is how much do you think you could actually get from these one-on-one workouts these coaches are doing? Uh, I think we made the point earlier. When you're good at talent evaluation, I think you can get everything that you need only because I'm I'm imagining that they only want to see one or two things, you know? Like, they've already seen the film. They've talked to the players, all these other kind of things. And so either I would imagine or I would hope that if you're planning this correctly, you're going into it one of two things. Like, these are their strengths. I want to see if these are actually strengths, if they translate to what we're doing. These are their weaknesses. I want to see if it's actually weaknesses or if they can take correction. Like, you know, uh, with uh, Coach Johnson, everyone who, especially the Ohio defensive ends, because they get the chance to come to camps and things like that, like Jack Sawyer talked about it. He's basically He's basically been on Coach Johnson's program for a year or two before he committed and really focusing on the hands and things like that. Those like little things, you can see like how quick they pick up information and hours, honestly, a long workout. So you can see like if 30 minutes in and you've been running them all over the field, are they quitting? Are they tired? Are they in shape? So I don't think you can get, I don't, I don't know if it's something that should make someone move up or fall off your board, but I think it can solidify some things and, and kind of show you some of those intangibles. Yeah, I think uh, I think you kind of made a good point there. I think it's more a confirmation thing than yeah. anything. I think if you're you're right, they watch the film, they've seen them play in high school. Uh, the also get to see how well they take coaching. Mm-hmm. You get to really communicate with them because I mean, we we both played not at the level of Ohio State. That obviously, uh, no offense to us, but. <laughs> Like there was kids on every single sports team. There's kids from little league all the way up who have just this innate ability to just not take coaching well. And I guess seeing that in person could be the difference for some of these talented kids. When you're really splitting hairs, like Ohio state has to, to build the perfect roster to compete for national titles like that little remark or that little not taking coaching well can lead to that decision. And I guess there's two confirmations you're getting. You're kind of confirming the personality of this player that you've met over Zoom the last year and a half, and you're getting physical confirmation because film usually doesn't lie. When you're fast and stronger than most kids on film, you're usually faster and stronger than most kids in person. But there's a lot of stuff personality-wise that you get to see in person that you don't get to see just watching film. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, um, you know, like you said, Ohio State's really splitting hairs and, you know, you're trying to build this program that's chasing Alabama 
and every player matters. Every position matters. And on top of that, you know, not to go down the rabbit hole, but we have the transfer portal now. And so you want players who are going to work because when you put, when Ohio State puts them through the mat drills and they do all these different things, they don't want a player that's going to come transfer, mess up their numbers and things like that. And it's like, oh, you know, we could have had this guy and this guy's now, you know, a freshman All-American and he's starting somewhere else. And we were this close to getting them, but we, we chose you instead. Uh, and so I think those little, you can confirm, you know, some some small little things and really personality work, ethic, fit of team, you know, those kind of things that's going to that can actually, you know, shift some players. If you have a group of players who are really close and you're trying to decide, you know, which one you, you really want. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's plenty of names we could probably get into that came through this weekend that got workouts and all that stuff. But I think the best way to approach this for us trying to stay on a macro level talking about it would probably be to kind of review the whole month. So I think we're, we're going to start playing that out for you guys, because I just don't think there's enough time to cover every single thing that's happening every single day. Like, have you seen Twitter? Like every day I'm looking at Twitter, I see this player did this, this player did that. There's, there's hundreds of things to follow. And I, I, I'm sorry, like for the people who have to cover it, I know this is their time of year, but I could not imagine having to keep all those names organized up here Mm -hmm. every single day. And you guys are probably like, you guys cover Ohio State. You should know all this stuff. I'm like, you try to keep up with these 150 names. Like, It's just, it's not happening for me right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we said they're doing four or five camps, which camps alone can bring 150 to 200 players. They have players from 2022, 2023. I saw, I don't know if it was Ohio State or if it was somewhere else. There was a quarterback from 2025. Yeah. At a camp. And I'm like, and he's like, he's posting his like graphics. I'm like, 2025, what are you? Are you a freshman right now? Are you maybe a sophomore? 13 years old. Yeah, like even that. I'm just like, you know, so there's so many players coming in. And I, and I also think, you know, I think it's good to have it at a macro level because we have so many people who are going in depth. And it's like, you know, sometimes you want to look at the bigger picture. You can get lost in the names. And sometimes it's good to, to do the bigger picture because that's how you see how the class is coming. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think really, like, at the end of the day, like, I'm seeing videos of kids all the way down to Ryan Day's son. He was throwing at an Ohio State camp. Like, that's how young these camps get. So we're, oh, yeah. we're literally watching 10, 11-year-olds throw footballs on Twitter. I'm like, this is, this is, this is too much. <laughs> but it's fun. It's all in good fun. And, I mean, Ohio State, like, we're, we're, we're going to jump a little bit ahead because I think this fits in with this conversation. Uh, the first person – to get a commitment of all the coaches was, you guessed it, Brian Hartline, who would have thought another top 100 receiver. Uh, I've been seeing ridiculous stats floated around. And if we want to see impact, Caleb Brown took one visit committed. And guess what? What that's 11 top 100, top 200 receivers in the last three or four recruiting classes. Yeah. What is Brian? What's Brian Hartline on? I don't. I, I wish I know. Maybe maybe it's the you know the secret the secret juice from um, Jordan's juice. Uh, I don't. I don't know, man. Space it has Jam. to be. It has to be from Space Jam or something. I just think it could be the Jordans he was wearing. Uh, and, and, and at a certain point, you really try to put it in, put it into words, and you can't. Literally, the only thing I can think of, like obviously, he has the intangibles. He has the NFL coaching career. I'm not coaching NFL playing career. All of that, but honestly, like. I just think he's a cool guy. Like, I mean, like everything I see about him seems like he, it just reads he's cool. And I think 
that's enough. You know, like, I think that's enough. Like, obviously, uh, you know, not to say that his job is hard because he's coaching at Ohio State, but the level of what he's doing at one position we haven't seen, and especially the wide receiver position, which the way the sport is going, he's just a cool guy. I think that's what it is. Historically, you're lucky to get, like, one receiver that level in a class, and he's getting three, four a year. And there's probably what you think, 16 roster spots for wide receivers, 12 to like 16, like four class, three or four class. And he's filling them up and they're not guys. He's not taking like 400. Like this guy went to Dublin Kaufman. We're getting him in here because he's a local kid. No, it's Caleb Burdens. It's Caleb Browns. It's Julian Flemings. It's G Scott's. It's guys who would legitimately go into some smaller schools and be the number one option right away. And they're coming to compete at Ohio State, which puts it on an even crazier level because there's there's like little opportunity to play at that position. Yeah, and the thing is, like, you know, no disrespect to Ohio. I'm an Ohio guy. Ohio is good for a lot of things. We can give you offensive linemen. We can give you defensive linemen. We can give you linebackers. But, like, we're not known for wide receivers. So One or two also, a year. He's also doing it nationally. Like, that's the thing. Like, to get these wide receivers, yeah. they're not in Ohio. You're not the number one wide receiver is not going to be in Ohio. It's probably never going to be in Pennsylvania again, at least not for another, you know, 10 yeah, or 15 is. years. You know, he's going to California. He's going to Texas. He's going to Florida. He's going to Missouri, Washington, like all these places and just hand picking receivers. Yo, we were on the same page there, hand picking them and just locking them in and they just come and they don't leave. Yeah. That's the other, I was, I was literally just going to say that they don't leave. And speaking of handpicking, you know, I know we said macro, but one thing about Caleb Brown, I was reading is he is the type of receiver Ohio state doesn't have currently, you know, he's like a true slot wide receiver. And so literally they looked, they said, okay, so we have the X, we have the Z, we have a couple good tight ends in this class. We don't have a slot. Who's the slot we want? Oh, he's in Michigan, even better. He's oh he's not in Michigan. He's in Chicago, but he was a Michigan lean, even better. He fits our program. He's a position that we need with amongst all of these wide receivers. We're gonna pick him. And what did he do? He committed. Yeah, but they scrapped him, took him, official visit was enough, and he said he's not even taking other visits. Yeah. That's how locked in he is. That's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, I'm going full homer with Brian Hartline, but that's okay. I I mean, who isn't? Like, every other coaching staff's like, I wish we had Brian Hartline. Yeah, and I think everyone's going to try to get him. And, and, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this. He said he is so content with being a wide receiver coach at Ohio State. Because you got to think, it's not about money for him. No. Because he made like $50 million playing in the NFL. Like, he's good there. Yeah, and I think. Literally just giving what gave him that money he's giving he's paying it forward in a way yeah and I think eventually you know maybe he might get the itch and he wants to be an offensive coordinator and things like that but if he does who's to say that like Ohio State's not going to make him an offensive coordinator in five years if he gets tired of being the wide receivers coach like you know like he had to earn his keep because he wasn't a coach before and so they started him out he was the lowest, lowest paid, et cetera, et cetera. But eventually he's going mean, to, again, not that he needs the money, but eventually he's going to hit that million dollar mark that some of the other Ohio State assistants are at. And he's going to get any title, anything he needs to stay because everyone in the country wants him. And he's Personal. an Ohio State alum. He's happy. He's not looking for other jobs. And it's just. He's got a young family, doesn't want to move around too much. I mean, he's literally in the perfect position. Yeah, for sure. 
And I, I, I think I, that's a good way to wrap it up. We're talking about the honestly the best wide receiver recruiter I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, easily. And it's just ridiculous. And of course, like if you had to pick a coach to land a commitment from the first weekend, it was going to be Brian Hartline. Yeah, I mean it's just that, that that's the first one you have to say. It has to be Brian Hartline. Yeah. If you go down the list, it's Brian Hartline, it's Larry Johnson, and then whoever else you could throw whoever else you want in there. But yeah, I, I think there's some other big stuff we're going to get into later in the show. But me and Jordan, Jordan has been wanting to do this topic since joined Land Grant Holy Land. So we're going to get into it now. You want to introduce it, Jordan? Yeah. So, I, you know, um, everyone likes to talk about the the, the best players um, anywhere. And so Ohio State has, as we've talked about with this all this recruiting news, Ohio State has amazing players and they're constantly getting more and more players. So I wanted to take a look back and go to 2005. Uh, 2005 may seem like a random year, but 2005 gets you the tail end of Trestle, the last five years of Trestle. Uh, and just see who were the top five players at each position. Uh, I mean, it works out perfectly. Um, we have 12 position groups and there's 12 weeks until the season starts. So we're going to rotate offense, defense, and, and just go through me, me and Chris, uh, what are, who we think are the best players at each position. And, and today we're starting with a heavy hitter. Yeah. We, the defensive end position has been surprisingly loaded. I think there's been a lot of really good players, but when I was kind of going through the list, the amount of like legitimately great players, like there's some just people like if you're to make a top five list at Ohio State, there's like three or four of them. You legitimately just can't leave on yeah. a list. And that made it really hard because we didn't want to repeat too much. But there's going to be a couple repeats here because just the position group itself is it's loaded. But there's some guys who are just absolutely built different. Yeah, I mean, there's literally not, I mean, y'all know who the repeats are. We're going to say them, I mean, y'all going to be like, obviously. It may be a little bit of surprise on where we have them, things like that, but y'all know who they are. Uh, so how do you want to start? You want to start at five? I say we go five to one. Okay. And uh, then, uh, yeah, you lead us off. You you bat first. All right, so my, my number five is John Simon. Uh, honestly, when I was thinking of this, I was not expecting to have John Simon on my list, but as I was doing my research, I mean – he, what didn't he do? If you go through the record book, John Simon is everywhere in the record book. Uh, 154 tackles, 20 sacks. He he was the 2012 Big uh, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Another draft pick, and so you know John Simon's my number five. And and a lot of people remember John Simon. Uh, maybe you don't remember John Simon, but you probably should. He he. I mean, he was right before we got the really 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 big name. You know. Uh, really, really big name uh, defensive lineman, but he played like a big name defensive lineman. He may not, I'm not going to pretend to remember his recruiting and things like that, but he didn't come in with the pedigree of some of the Boses and the Chase Youngs and things like that, but he has to be on this list. He was just a workhorse. Yeah, I remember John Simon specifically for a big 10 network profile they did of him. And he was a guy who worked out so much he they opened the Woody Hayes early for him. They kept it open late for him just so he could work out. And I think what you kind of nailed on the head was he wasn't a guy who had the pedigree coming into Ohio State that a lot of the guys we're going to be talking about did later. But he really kind of represented everything good about Ohio State's defense at the time. He was an effort guy. He was a guy who brought it every day. And like you said, when I was reading through the record books, John Simon's name was in every single category 
for that a defense end could be in. And I was like, man, this guy was this guy was way better than I remembered. Yeah. I remember him being good, but I didn't remember him having the flashy stats that kinda came with it. Yeah, same. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it was just maybe that's what we weren't paying attention to, or you know, he was some people. There. He was there during the fickle year, that fickle year, so that kind of probably hurt his reputation a little bit when it comes to like the way we remember him. Mm-hmm. But he was also the guy who bridged us into that 2012 undefeated year. One of the leaders on that team. Yeah, and I mean the 2012 years when he won Defensive Player of the Year. So he obviously had a huge impact. Yeah, my number five might surprise a lot of people just due to his level of talent and his success after Ohio State, but my number five is Nick Bosa. Uh, John Simon didn't make my list. He was probably right there at six or seven, but Nick Bosa comes in at number five for me, and not because of anything he did wrong. It wasn't his fault he had the abdominal issues. It wasn't his fault he didn't play the number of games that we would have hoped from a player of that level of talent. But Nick Bosa, he's an All-American uh, big time pass rusher, sack guy, immediately contributed as a freshman. And the reason he comes in at number five was he might be the most talented defensive end we have on this list. It's arguable. It's probably him or another guy who's very much included on our list. And I loved watching Nick Bosa immediately. The reason I have him at five is because of his lack of. What is it? Uh, Not durability. I don't want to give him that. He opted out. Great choice by him. He ended up going number two in the draft. But the reason he's number five for me is he just didn't have the impact that some of the other guys on the list had to the position group. When you kind of look at it holistically, he might be the best player in that position group. But his impact on the field and his impact on the program wasn't as lofty as some of these other guys on the list. And I, I, I guess that's why he comes in at number five for me. It's not talent. It's not production. It's just kind of his overall impact on the program wasn't as large as these other guys. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I mean, he's higher on my list. He's definitely on my list, but I have no issue with him being at five because exactly like you said, you know, he's one of the one or two, you know, most talented players. My favorite thing about Nick Bosa is, you know, nowadays high school recruits, are almost professional players. I mean, I I think we talked about it before. I don't know if it was on the podcast or off. It was just like the, their regimen, weight training, all of that kind of stuff. And you can really tell that when Joey Bosa came home and he was doing the drills that Larry Johnson told him, Nick was doing those drills too. And he was really learning. And so he really got a head start. And so he came in, you know, Joey came in good, but he didn't have that technique. And then Nick got to follow in his footsteps and come to the camps and learn that technique and work out with Joey at home. And so he was, I mean, he was basically an Ohio State football player in high school because he, yeah. he everything that Joey was doing in workouts, he could come home and show his brother. And I just appreciate, you know. made Nick better when he got there. Yeah, and I just appreciate that he took that. You know, like, I mean, he knew what it was. He come from, you know, a family pedigree. He expected to go high in the draft, and he came in about business. And I, I think he's a player that, you know, we – what's the right word? We – it's just sad that we didn't get to see everything. At um, his fullest potential. Yeah, we just didn't and it sucks because I think he probably would have been a little higher on my list had he had a bigger impact. Yeah. Had he had he been able to have a bigger impact, it's not his fault. Like any time he was on the field, he was absolutely just destroying games. Oh, like, yeah. like in order, like we had guys like we'll, we'll talk about them more on the list. But there was a list of defense ends, and it felt like they kept getting better as the years come. 
And one guy in recruiting led to another guy in recruiting. Mm-hmm. And that guy led to this next guy. And it kept feeling like they kept getting better as the years went on. And I think Nick was part of that journey. And that's kind of why he comes in at five for me. Yeah, I, I totally get it. Uh, number four for me is Vernon Golston. Um, I mean, he's an All-American. He is the second lowest draft pick by anyone else on the list, which is kind of crazy to say because he was drafted number six. So everyone else was drafted higher. Uh, I mean, 22 sacks, an interception. Um, and I just think, you know, when I made my list, I'm trying to think who made impact both at Ohio State, who made impact nationally. So you'll hear a lot of the same things from me. You'll hear All-American. You'll hear Defensive Player of the Year. You'll hear those things because I think to really go down as one of the best defensive ends, uh, you have to have those. Like you're, You have to translate past Ohio State, whether that's being drafted, awards, things like that. And I really think that Vernon Golston did that. Uh, this was one that I, that I struggled with because, I mean, there were just so many, especially once you get past some of the ones that, like, I don't remember seeing every single day. You know, Vernon Golston, I believe, yeah. was uh, – he was an All-American in 2007. So, you know, I was a teenager. and I was 13. So, I didn't understand the intricacies of football, but I just know I loved watching him play. So, yeah, uh, he's number four on my list. I think he's a name everyone sort of remembers fondly. He was an anchor on those – two teams the florida national championship team Mm -hmm. he was a big impact player on that he was a big impact player when todd beckman somehow led us to another national championship game against lsu and i don't think you could tell the troy smith that era during those three or four years kind of in that middle of trestle's time without vernon golston and you talk about productivity you talk about kind of being a defensive line factory he is for sure one of the people who got it rolling and i think when you talk about who worked with him fickle was a guy who worked very closely with vernon Golston. he kind of embodied what being a college lineman a college defensive lineman in the middle 2000s was all about like looking at his stats you put him in the show plan like there was not a player there's not many players who achieved what he achieved in college and unfortunately he didn't go on to have a career that lived up to those height numbers but part of that was because when you look at his size he was a tweener he was between a three technique and a defense end and i don't think he ever found the right fit in the nfl and in college you could kind of survive with a lot of that tweenerness i i think there's probably a better term for it but he just never found the right footing in the nfl and i think that's kind of something that hurts the way he's remembered but I just think stat by stat impact on teams. He is one of the he's one of the top five defense ends in the last 25, 30 years, if you really want to get into it. Yeah, and I think, you know, last thing on him, at least on my end, is I think it's important to remember, I don't want to say this to belittle anyone else that's coming next, because everyone else for me is going to be very recent. But I think you also have to remember what the game was like in 2007. You know, yeah. uh, if Chase Young or Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, they faced 30, 40 dropbacks a game. I mean, Redding Ghoston probably faced what, 20, 25? Yeah, so his I mean, numbers? They're special. Yeah. I mean, especially in the Big Ten. Like, you know, I mean, even in what, 2010, yeah, 11, 12, Alabama wasn't throwing the ball. So, yeah. you know, this this offense is different, even so much in the last three or four years. So in 2007, 2006, I mean, 
to have those stats when I mean I, to have those stats when they're mainly running the ball and it's tough nosed Big Ten football. Uh, I mean, you have to talk about that. That's amazing for sure, absolutely. And uh, that uh, will segue into my next guy here. My next guy on the list is Tyquan Lewis, and everyone's going to kind of say like, "Oh my God, Tyquan Lewis, why, why him?" And he was a guy who gets so underappreciated because of who was on the opposite side of him. Uh, Joey Bosa, without Tyquan Lewis, uh, I don't think our defense is as good as a lot of people think it was. And I was looking into Tyquan Lewis. He has the accolades. He was an all Big Ten performer. And when you go stat by stat, the guy had uh, 23 and a half career sacks. He had two eight sack seasons and a seven sack season. Uh, he was always kind of rotating in and outside, so I kind of went a little cheat here, but he was such a valuable defense alignment at the three technique and defense end position that I had to include him on the list. Uh, a common guy in the original Rushman packages. He's a big name, and he was part of Joe. Him and Joey Bosa kind of got the ball rolling, and I kind of have them as the initial. They're kind of like the founders of the modern day defensive end club at Ohio State. And those two built off each other. They played really well opposite of each other. And I think impact on him, him and Joey Bosa are part of the reason Larry Johnson was able to, number one, anyone who had Joey Bosa would have had a very successful college football player. Tyquan Lewis was a little bit more on the developmental side, and he ended up being an all-Big Ten, a big-time performer. And he was a name... He was torn. It was between him and John Simon on who I include on the list. So, I mean, in a way, he'd kind of be my fifth guy. But I just thought he had three years of production, and that kind of moved him in front of Nick Bosa when I made my final decision on the top four. And I, I, I think he's a guy who gets a little forgotten with some of the great players we've had. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm a huge Saquon Lewis fan, uh, and He's on, I'm a Colts fan and he got drafted by the Colts and I was so happy. Um, and, and I think you made a lot of good points. And one thing I just like to add to what you said is without Taekwon Lewis, I don't think we have the Rushman package. You know, yeah, you have Joey Bosa, so you're going to do good. But the, the benefit of the Rushman package is it allowed people to like you couldn't always double Joey Bosa because Taekwon Lewis was going to be there, which in turn makes Joey Bosa better. You know, and and the ability to move him inside and outside and do that thing and rotate the defensive ends. I think sometimes we don't always talk about, you know, what that second defensive end or that third defensive end does to make it easier on the first defensive end. And I think, you know, I think we really saw that with Chase Young. And I mean, like, come on now. I mean, he had all the stats, right? But think of what Chase Young could have done if he had a Taekwondo Lewis, because especially his Obviously, last yeah. year, you know, his last year, it's not that they were bad, but they he like, just had they a lot of inexperience. He, yep. he didn't have Jonathan Cooper opposite of him. Mm-hmm. So it really kind of came down to just Chase Young that last year. Yeah. I mean, in Ty, if, he had, if he had Taekwondo Lewis or a Taekwondo Lewis, then who knows what our defense would have done. So I, I love it. I'm a huge Taekwondo Lewis fan. Um, so I'm glad he's on the list. Yeah, I think I just had to include him. I, I think overall, he was stat-wise, I, I just look at his stats, I'm like, this guy was legitimately one of the better defense ends in the Big Ten at his time, and he just got overshadowed by Joey Bosa. Yeah, 
And I think he was what still a second or third round pick. So the NFL saw yeah. it. I mean, the NFL saw it. He's still in the NFL. You know, not that you know. I don't. I don't know if everyone follows Buckeyes in the NFL like I do. But if you do and you don't follow the Colts, just know that he's in line for a starting job this year. You know, he's gonna be. He might potentially be a starting defensive end uh, or a three technique. You know, for an NFL team. So he's still doing. He's still doing good post Ohio State, and I think that says yeah. something does i think it's a lot too so who's who's your number three on your list uh so my number three is nick bosa you know we don't have to stay on this one i think we already talked about nick bosa but the reason why he's number three is exactly why you said he may be the most talented but he just doesn't have the stats he just didn't you know unfortunately we just didn't get to see everything that he could have done but i still had to put him three because the effect that he had just watching him play like the moment he stepped foot on the field you knew something was going to happen and in every big moment, that's the one thing I'd say that potentially, you know, maybe separates him from even Joey and um, and Chase Young is when you needed a big play, you knew you were going to get it. And that's not oh. to say that Chase didn't have big plays. That's not to say Joey didn't have big plays. We know they did, but it almost felt inevitable that if you needed a sack, if you needed a stop, if you needed something when Nick Bosa was there, he was getting it. Um, and so I felt he had to still be, you know, on the top three for me. Um, so Nick Bosa is on. Yeah, is on I can. I completely respect him at three just due to his pure big game. Like I remember in TC against TCU, we were struggling and then he forced that fumble and he had a bunch of plays like that. And it seemed like every time you either needed a sack or a pass deflection at the line, Nick Bosa was coming up pretty big time for Ohio state. Uh, And it started immediately when he came there and he was more of a rotational guy as a freshman and he was so good. And this is what I'm hoping Jack Sawyer is. I'm hoping Jack Sawyer follows the Nick Bosa blueprint and just comes in and immediately just wrecks games. And I think Nick Nick Bosa is the epitome of a wrecking ball type defense end. Yeah. I mean, the, anything you wanted to do, you couldn't. Yeah. I mean, he didn't have any weaknesses. Great against the run, great against the pass, could defend passes at the line of scrimmage if he didn't win his rush. But most of the time, won his rush. Yeah. Uh, my number three here is Cameron Hayward. Uh, I think he might be the most underrated Ohio State Buckeye in the 2000s. And part of it is because Cameron Hayward kind of came at a time where defensive line positions were a little bit more on the positionless side. Uh, obviously, you'd have your biggest guy be on the furthest interior, but Cameron Hayward played defensive end. And I'm looking at his stats right now. Wasn't the biggest sack guy, but had 37 and a half tackles for loss in his career. 163 total tackles. Was an absolute beast against the run as a strong side defensive end in a very run-heavy era. And I, looking at his awards, looking at his accolades, I don't think there's enough for him, to be honest. And he's a big-time NFL player. He's a guy who has won a lot. And in his time at Ohio State, he's another guy who sort of connected two generations of Jim Tressel. He kind of took the last bit of the Todd Beckmans, those those types of quarterbacks, and ushered us into the Taro Priors and Braxton Miller types on the opposite side of the ball. So he kind of was in the transitioning era of college football going from that last bit of old schoolness to that new school we're going to throw all over the field and his stats similar to what you said 
about John Simon and Vernon Golston. Uh, for the time period he was playing in, in the Big Ten, his numbers are ridiculous. Yeah, no. That's a great one. And, I, and I'd say up until potentially the Nick, the Nick and Joey Bosa's and hopefully Chase Young, it's, is he the best NFL Ohio State DN in a long time or ever. I mean, he's so constant. And I mean, even today, I mean, I don't know how long he's been in the league, but he's dominant for the Steelers. So it's crazy because how big he was. Like watching him move on the outside was absolutely just incredible. Like the way he's able to move, even to this day, as like an older guy on the Steelers, uh, unfortunately on the Steelers, he was so he's so good at, at moving. He's a three-time Big Ten champion. He was a first-team All Big Ten guy, consensus All-American in 2007. So that means everybody thought that this guy was great. And I don't think the accolades show enough on what Cameron Hayward was able to accomplish because he was such a dirty work guy at the same time. Yeah, I think he. I think he kind of you know gets the same treatment as. Um... Who'd you say? I think you said John Simon. Just being in that 2010, 2011, 2012. Uh, he was drafted in 2011, but that I mean that area is that era is really fuzzy for Ohio State with the scandal and Trestle being fired and Luke Fickle's year and things like that. And so I think a lot of times we miss those players. But I mean, he was drafted in 2011, 10-year vet. He's 32, and you can't tell me he's not a top 10 or 12 defensive end in the league. Um, and I mean, he's yeah. he's solid. He's he's consistent. You know, maybe he's not the number one option, and that's fine. He doesn't need to be. But if he's your number two, and, and I mean, God, if he's your number three, you have a great, great pass rush. Yeah. And again, unfortunately, he's on the Steelers. But, I mean, he's an engine for the Steelers. For and he's sure. a reason hey, he, why. He's pretty much been the three technique there his whole career. And for those who don't know, that's the tackle that's not on the center. He's off to the guard between the guard and the tackle usually. And he has just been a force in the league for years. And he hasn't gotten the respect there either uh, from like an awards and recognition standpoint. This guy could be an all pro every single year due to the impact he has on games, but he just hasn't been. And it's unfortunate. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, So uh, who, who's your, I honestly think our top two are exactly the same. So uh, for obvious reasons, I think these two guys have exemplified the greatest aspects of Ohio State defensive ends. Uh, they oh. were there in big moments. They were there for multiple years. The production is absolutely ridiculous and off the charts for both of them. And the impact they had on games were so vital at times in seasons that without these two players, I don't know what Ohio State football is in the yeah. 2010s. I have no idea. Uh, so number two, Joey Bosa. I, I haven't read everyone's stats, but I have to read his stats just because they're outrageous. He had, a as a defensive end, mind you, 148 tackles. 148 as a defense. That is ridiculous. If you don't pay attention to stats for defensive ends, just know that's ungodly. If a linebacker, you know, like a second team linebacker had 148 tackles in their career, that would be a solid career. And he had that at a defensive end. 51 tackles for a loss, 26 sacks. I mean, two-time defensive player of the year, consensus All-American. I, I I feel like I didn't even have to say that. I feel like we could have just said Joey Bosa and it was understood. But I think sometimes yeah. you you have to remember just how good he was. I, I think there's some perspective here for you guys. Simple mathematics. 148 tackles, 51 tackles for a loss. 
that is a third of his tackles happen in the backfield. That is such a ridiculous amount that I don't even really know where to start with it. Like he was so good. I think there's so many memories of Joey Bosa. We had the shrug. We had him bearing another grown person into (laughs) Christian Hackenberg's knee. The moments were he was a vital part of the 2014-15 national championship team. Uh, He was obviously an elite player the next year on the team that ended up coming up short of our lofty goals and expectations. But overall, I think talent-wise, I don't think he is Chase Young or his brother. But from a pure football-playing standpoint, I think he might – I, if you rank the top five best football players Ohio State's had in the last decade, I, it's hard to keep him off the list. Yeah. And it, it, it's weird to say it because of how physically gifted he was, but honestly, at least of the three latest, of Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, he was the least physically gifted, but he had the best work ethic. And yeah, that's not to say was, that the ones didn't, but he he had he's a technician. Literally, he's a technician. Um, he is – he he's football player personified. Like when you think about what a football player should be, it's Joey Bosa. He's yeah. all high motor guy, great against the run, great against the pass. I've said that about everybody on this list because they all are. That this is Ohio State we're talking about, and these are the top five in the last fifteen years. It was hard to cut it down to this list, but not these two. These two guys, no. easiest selections of our lives. Oh, yeah. uh, so. Number one, I think you guys know who it is. I think me and Jordan might be the biggest Chase Young fans on the planet, and it's oh, amazing that we're on a podcast together. But our best defense end, I honestly all time, I'm going to say it, is Chase I'm Young. With you. I don't think there was a better football player in the last 10 years than Chase Young in his final season at Ohio State. And no. unfortunately, some snitches uh, who will not be named because we don't know who they are uh, <laughs> interrupted it. And I think the stats and it kind of threw him out of his rhythm and kind of put his season in limbo, but you can read the stats. I I, I'm just, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. Just starting to think about chase young's impact. Yeah. I mean, 98 tackles, 40 and a half tackles for a loss and 30 and a half sacks. So a third of his tackles were sacks and over almost half of his tackles were tackled. Like it's just, and like you said, you know, that like he missed those two games and then he was off his rhythm. There's no way. And he still had 16 and a half and sacks. he was getting triple teamed by the end the, of the year. Because like, as we already mentioned, he didn't have a Taekwon Lewis. It was him. It was him. And, you know, the year before he had Nick Bosa for the first three games or Nick Bosa technically had him and then Nick Bosa yeah. got hurt. And as a sophomore, he got thrown in. So he didn't come in with the same ready, like, Chase Young, you're a five-star freshman, you're an ultra-talent. He had to earn his way onto the field as a freshman, which is kind of why you see a little bit smaller on the tackle side, I think. But every chance he got in the pass rush from the time he showed up to the time he left was absolutely sensational. That's why yeah. he he has all the sacks. And there was a point in time in his final season where – People were legitimately thinking, like, this guy should win the Heisman. Yeah. And, I mean, he would I, – I, I won't say he would have, but if he, yeah, I don't think if he, he wouldn't I think have he had that. Second. The invite to New York would have been huge yeah, for a defense yeah. player. Like, that would have been uh, elite 
He definitely would have been elite class right there. He definitely would have gotten invited. I mean, I just think about it. Those two games, and they were against the worst teams too. You're telling me he's yeah. not going to have three sacks against Maryland? He could have triple teamed him with Maryland and Rutgers, and he would have just ate that alive. It would have yeah. been fun. He would have had three sacks and not played the second half. Because he had a very young right side opposite of him. Uh, he didn't have he didn't even have Jonathan Cooper because that was the year Coop was out with his yeah. shoulder injury. Wasn't and it, that was it Tyreek Smith right? Smith and Zach Harrison, a young Zach Harrison, a Zach Harrison who couldn't even grow facial hair yet. Yeah. Uh, freshman. And that was – Chase Young was our defensive line that year. And I, I know a lot of people love Joey. A lot of people love Nick Bosa. A lot of people love a lot of names on this list. But I swear to God, I don't I've, – I've seen Chase Young in person. I remember seeing Chase Young walking into Lazenby Hall. I'm like, this is the reason I'm not a Division One football player because there's guys <laughs> who look like Chase Young here. I watched every single game of Chase Young's career, and I have never been so mesmerized by a defensive end's ability to just destroy a team's gameplay. Single-handedly. Like, there was no stopping him when he was on his game, and I just don't think... We're seeing it in the NFL already. Like, he is having no issues transitioning to the league. He was that good. And I think it's absolutely criminal that we lost two games of Chase Young in college because this guy could have had 40 career sacks. And unfortunately, you know, Clemson and Michigan and Wisconsin game playing really well those last three games to limit his impact. But he still had an impact because when you're focusing three guys on stopping one guy, whether it's two linemen and a running back or three linemen kind of shoving them around, you, we all see. We've seen the pictures too. Yeah. Like the refs I mean, had to call the he. The refs had to call the game different for him because if he wasn't getting a sack, he was getting help. Yeah, I mean, let, let, let's do the simple math. There's five offensive linemen, six if you include a tight end, but the tight end can't really block. So you're either giving half of your blockers or three fifths of your blockers for one person, and just yeah. telling everyone else like just block them, just just do just whatever you can for the other guys, and praying that the other guys don't do something. If we don't triple team him. He's going to get there. They may get here, but he is absolutely going to wreck our plan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so moving on, I think I think we're good here. I think our top fives, I, I'd love to hear your guys' top fives, who your top five defense yeah, please. are. And we're going to continue doing this. Uh, what do we got next week? Next week we have, I think we have offensive tackles. I tried to group okay, them, you know, I tried to group fun. them with similar positions. I think we have gotcha. offensive tackles. That'll be a fun one. I I love talking about the Hogs. It's, oh, it's the yeah. best. They're the best. Uh, they they're the foundation of the house. Uh, so yeah, we got a few more topics we got to get into today. I don't want to rush off that one. It was a fun topic, but we got I at least we got two more topics. At least we're gonna try to hit. Uh, if we want to take a minute here, Do you, would you rather hit uh the AD or your USC conversation? Uh, we can do the AD one just because yeah. That- is Ohio I think it's State related? Yeah, and then we you can like, kind of save the quarterback one for when it's a little slower. Yeah, we can always have that conversation. Hopefully, you like that ad break. As always, welcome back to the show. This is Chris Brenny, and we are continuing the conversation. So, Ohio State hired a new associate athletic director by the name of Jocelyn Gates, uh, previously worked at Boston College. I think uh, 
Ryan Day's done a good job of using that pipeline to get very well-established people into the program. I uh, think Greg Madison, think now Jocelyn Gates. And she is going to oversee parts of the football program as well as other athletic director duties. But she's going to be responsible for football recruiting or football scheduling, sorry. And that's an important role. I think a lot of people don't realize this, but due to the fact games are scheduled so far out, it feels like there's not a lot of work that goes into it. But actually making sure everything goes right is probably such a freaking hard job to have. And I just so what do you think? How do you feel about this hire? I, I, I don't know much about Jocelyn Gates. I don't really know much about the position, but I, I feel like we're hiring smart people here. Yeah, no, I mean, on a personal note, I'm happy just because uh, it's a black woman. And I think, you know, when you talk about sports and where women are in sports and things like that, you know, they they don't typically get a role that high at such a big university. So I think that's very forward thinking of Ohio State. You know, I think you want a very complete program, a very complete university, and you want someone that cares about everything. And so I think that's good. Uh, the fact that she's over football is also major. I mean, it's football at Ohio State. You know, it's not like they, you know, you know, put her over like volleyball or softball or something that, you know, not that's not as big as football, because obviously those sports mattered. All the sports matter. It's not what I'm trying to say, but I think it's important to to note that, you know, Ohio State was willing to do that. Um I think it's major because when you talk about football scheduling, not only do you talk about, you know, like you mentioned, the games going on, you also talked about the buy games and negotiating those contracts with the Mac schools and things like that. And that may be even more difficult if you believe the reports that some schools don't want to play those games no more because of the transfer portal and they don't want their players taken. So to be scouted. And I'm just to be honest, guys, like Ohio State's not going to go into a Mac game and be like, (laughs) Ohio State recruits too well. They'd rather get them in and build them on their own. I don't think yeah. – I think Mac schools saying that are very much kind of just kind of doing the – what is it, chicken little, the sky is falling stuff there. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think you make a lot of good points about kind of that. And I, I was reading the Cleveland.com article kind of profiling her, and they said the one strength she's bringing to the table – not just with football alone, but just this innate ability to connect with athletes. Uh, I believe she was a former student athlete herself. She is also a person who has had to work her way up. And this was an interesting part. So she has made a ton of sacrifices for her career. And her husband actually is the head coach at Cleveland state for basketball. And they have had this geographical challenge for years. And, This is crazy. They've lived a flight away from each other while raising their children, two children, Avery and Duke, and they have a third child on their way. So I'm talking about two busy professionals making it work from a distance, and now she'll finally be within at least two hours. They'll probably find a place in the middle, and that'll work out perfect. So that's personally great for her. And I kind of like to bring that up because this, and there's also this quote that I'm seeing, and it's touching on a lot of, what you're talking about and she said it i believe it was her talking about it the fact that ohio state is hiring a woman from outside to be able to do this position is a big deal she's actually taking over for another woman uh who took the deputy commissioner job in the big 10 altogether but it's very progressive it's very good it's you're getting a strong woman in here and that is very good 
it's very good to influence young men to be around women like that. Mm-hmm. And I just think this is just uh, one of those positive stories from a lot of angles that kind of just makes you happy. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, she has to go and do the job, and it's not an easy job, but it's, not it's, one, of the, it's one of those hires that you just get behind. You don't know nothing about it. Like, I read the story. I don't know who she is. I read the story, and I was just like, yes, like I love everything about it. Happy for her. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I couldn't imagine, yeah. you know, being how, how far is Boston? You know, a six, seven, a six-hour flight, whatever it is, you know, yeah. being a flight away from my husband raising kids. But those are the sacrifices that she made. And, you know, it seems to have paid off. It I mean, Ohio shows State is... that we're getting a person who is going to put in all her effort yeah. in every single way. And she said that herself. She said one of the biggest things is about providing Ohio State fans with the best inventory for fans. So we've got games already scheduled against Georgia, Notre Dame, Texas, and Washington. But I don't think a lot of people realize this. TCU backed out of a game, and we ended up with just one home and home. Mm -hmm. There is a lot that goes into maintaining these relationships, keeping these games on the schedule, keeping these games on the plate. And if something does unfortunately happen, we need to have someone who can make up for it. And I think she seems to be a person who's going to do a very good job. Yeah, and I think those relationships and stuff like that with the uh, it kind of leads into our next conversation. But with the playoffs and teams being more willing to Absolutely. schedule, that's going to matter. Before we move on, I just want to highlight you did mention that it was another woman in the job, and now she's a deputy commissioner of the Big Ten. I hope I think that's going to be good because Kevin Warren went under fire, and yeah. if you could get a, you know male, female, whatever, if you can get a, a commissioner from anywhere. Uh, getting someone that that that's from Ohio State and understands the Big Ten and really has those relationships in that pool, and that's probably think, a big part of why she got that job, yeah. just to kind of get a better feel of the landscape. Yeah, I hopefully hopefully he listens to her because I know with a lot of people he came under fire, and so I think I don't know much about her, but I would imagine just with her history and being in this role with Ohio State, you know, she's well deserving, and I think can be very helpful because the commissioner need he needs somebody that that yeah. understands college football and understands the Big Ten because he clearly yeah. did not, you know. Yeah, I think we're both pro second chances here. I think yeah. we're going to give Kevin Warren a shot. Uh, he's got a very – me and Matt had an interesting conversation about Greg – or Kliakov, the new Pac-12 commissioner. Uh, he's going to have a very – he's going to have a comparison for the rest of his career, so it's yeah. time to really get it rolling. Uh But yeah, moving into that, a big part of being the commissioner is making sure the playoff is here. And this kind of takes us into our best for last on today's show. Some big news. The playoff committees have discussed expansion, and it looks like the leader in the clubhouse is the 12-team playoff format. Me and Jordan are not pro-12-team playoff format. We're both – I don't even know if – Jordan, are you pro-expansion? Uh, I'm pro expansion, but I'm pro eight team expansion. I'm pro eight team expansion as well. I, I I think I don't think I'm pro expansion. I really I I love the bowl games, but I, I talked to the I talked with Matt about this. I am what a lot of people refer to as a college football addict, a college football junkie in every single way. So regardless of when a game's on, regardless of who's playing in the game, I'm watching it no matter what. So I guess coming from that perspective, it's kind of hard for me to like get the conversations from a group of five school because I'm as invested in watching those games as people who are fans of group of five teams and so on and so forth. So 
it makes it hard for me to kind of be like, it's 14 playoff. Why everyone's watching college football anyways, but we knew it was coming. And I guess looking at the 12 team playoff, five power, five auto bids, one group of five auto bid, the highest ranked one, and then six at large teams. I think the thing that worries me about it, I don't like the buys. I don't like the number. Uh, So I guess take it for you. I mean, that means if you were to come in as a seed that's not in the top four, you would have to play 16 games in the year with how it's currently scheduled. That's a lot to put on a student athlete. And that's kind of part reason number one, I am not pro expansion. I think they're already playing too many games. Yeah, I'm I'm not pro 12. Um, I agree with you. I I watch college football. I'm I'm an Ohio State fan, but ultimately I'm a college football fan. I watch Maction like Tuesday. I can't wait for Maction in November. It's one of my favorite parts. It's like it's like me, you, and a hundred other people in the country watching Maction, and I'm watching Kent. I'm a Kent State alum, so I watch their game. But I'm watching Ball State play Eastern Michigan. You know, it's like nobody's watching the game, nobody's in the stands, but I'm there. So I like I like. I like expansion just because I just think one, you know, Ohio State may have another ring. You know, they may have another championship. I think we would have won in 15, even if we came in at the eight seed. So I like expansion for that. And I like expansion for the group of five because we saw it. Cincinnati was one play away from beating Georgia. And I know a lot of people think that doesn't matter, but I do think, you know, you may, even if they don't get to the championship or whatever, I do think you're going to see some upsets. Yeah. Um, I and think Cincinnati's so good. I, they they deserve good. to be there. They do. And they're never going to get in. They deserve a shot. With four, there's no chance. And I think the one point that kind of swayed me a little bit was Matt's point on expanding it gives teams more of an opportunity to catch up. Because if you have eight teams making the playoffs instead of four, you could be like Jimbo Fisher, say he makes it at the as a five seed. He can say, we're right there. We're in the hunt. We're in the playoff every year come to Texas A&M. And I think that fairness is awesome. But as a biased observer, as an Ohio State fan, I'm like, God, we're one of the four. Why would we want this expanded any further? We're there every year. Like, Let us get all those recruiting advantages. But as a college football fan, I think this is the best thing for the sport. It adds more games, uh, more meaningful games. I think the buys, and as much as I don't like them, kind of give you that need to take the regular season seriously. I don't know what this is going to do to conference championship games. I don't know what this is going to do to those money games because I think you're going to want to keep it to 15 games a year. And I yeah. think that's kind of the goal because you don't want too much. You can't have too much because it's unfair. But then I'm thinking athletes are going to start getting comp- compensated a little bit. So it's also another platform for them to increase their wealth. And now I'm thinking – God, and this is kind of why this conversation is so complicated because there's so many moving parts and give and take. And you don't want a college student to play 17, 16 games. But when they're getting paid, it'll be like, yeah, you know what? Give them the spotlight as much as you can. Yeah, I hate the idea of having buy games. That's my biggest issue with 12. Also, don't like six at-large because, let's be honest, they're going to give three of the at-larges almost every year to the SEC. Yeah. And no, I don't want to see Alabama versus Georgia part three. Like, I, I yeah, don't. no, that'll be bad. Um, that, that's something that I'm really worried about, too, is repeat matchups. I think the reason you'd want more teams is to avoid repeat matchups. But we all know, as college football fans, that 
It happens all the time in conference championships. Ohio State beats a Wisconsin. Wisconsin's the 12 seed. Ohio State plays Wisconsin in the second round. Okay, yeah. like we get three games against Wisconsin in a year. You know how annoying that would be. And yeah. I don't even mind Wisconsin fans. I think they're some of the better fans in the Big Ten, but like repeat games are awful. I w- I'll watch a second one. I don't want to watch a third. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't like 12 for that reason because, I mean, let's be honest, it's going to be – they just pencil it in. The pencil SEC championship. The, the three SEC, SEC champions. Teams. And the person that loses the SEC championship every single year. We'll probably get the Big Ten champion and the second place Big Ten finisher. And on a good year, a third. The Big 12 will probably get their champion in and maybe a second team. And this gives the Pac-12 an opportunity to finally join the party on a regular basis. Yeah, but I think you could do that with eight. I think eight would have been perfect. Um, I think it gives a lot of chance. There's no repeat games with eight probably. Unless yeah. possibly in the championship, and then that's okay. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think we're going to hear a lot more about it. The committee's meeting this week. We're probably going to talk about this again next week. We're probably going to talk about this for the rest of our lives. So I think the best thing to do is save it for later. Uh, any final words today, yeah, my, Jordan? My, my my last thought is, and it's not going to happen, so it doesn't matter. I would I wish they would. Uh, admit that the playoffs is its own separate entity and get rid of and keep it away from bowl games. Yeah. I would, I I would watch it because I'm going to watch every game regardless. I would love to see the Rose bowl still be, even if it's the third team in the big 10, even if the first two are in the playoffs. Just keep the tradition with the bowls. Yeah. And I think you can do that. If I don't want to watch the, I don't want to like this year that the Rose bowl didn't even get played. I don't want to watch the Rose bowl be Alabama and whatever, you know, I want I don't care if it's Wisconsin and Washington. Like, I want that game. So it's never going to happen, but I wish they would just separate the playoffs and the Bulls, do all the neutral site stuff that you like, keep the Bulls traditional. Um, But that's my last thought. All right, sounds good. Uh, Exciting show this week. Uh, Obviously, this is the only place you can hear me and Jordan, so we like to get into our conversations as much as we can. Uh, Make sure you're following both of us, Jordan. uh, Give them your name. Uh, yeah, you can you can follow me on all social media at black underscore royalty eight, and you can follow me at Chris Rennie CFB, my personal page, and make sure you're following the show because that's where most of my tweeting gets done at Book Off Pod. Uh, as always, thank you guys for joining us today. Make sure you leave a nice little rating and review for us, me and Jordan specifically, because we're your best friends and you listen to us every week, and we love you guys. So. Thanks for coming again, and we'll see you guys next Friday. Go Bucks. Go Bucks.